0: It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, February 16th. I'm Kelly Reese, in for KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. He'll take over Friday's newscast, but all returns to normal next week. Laws with environmental impacts on today's California report. The latest on tailpipe emissions standards, the state's battle against single-use plastics, and new data on rising sea levels. We'll look at regional news and weather before we continue with our environmental theme. We've all seen the Keep Tahoe Blue stickers. Well, tonight, Belton Pruitt speaks with the group's CEO. Then, Rob Katzenstein lets us in on potential difficulties for the California solar industry.
1: This is the California Report. I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. The Biden administration is expected as soon as today to restore California's authority to set its own tailpipe emission standards. California has been setting its own standards for more than 50 years. A Trump administration effort to revoke that authority has been tied up in litigation. Scott Hochberg is a transportation attorney at the Center for Biological Diversity.
2: California is getting back its authority to set its own clean car rules and they need to be the strongest in the nation in order to drive progress forward and meet the state's climate goals.
1: Fourteen other states have adopted California's strict tailpipe standards. Hochberg says whatever the state does now will have consequences for emissions across the nation. California's battle against single-use plastic waste continues this week. Lawmakers are considering a bill that would limit the types of packaging online retailers can use. KCRW's Kaylee Wells has details.
3: When online shopping grew during the pandemic, so did packaging. A report last year from the wildlife advocacy group Oceana says Amazon's plastic waste spiked nearly 30% in 2020, although Amazon disputes that. That plastic takes centuries to degrade. The new bill would require big online retailers to stop using common plastic packaging by 2024. Small businesses would have more time to transition by 2026. If this measure passes, retailers would have to use packaging that's reusable, recyclable, or biodegradable. It's not the first time California's tried to do this. A similar bill died last year when a business coalition, which included plastic companies, said eliminating the packaging could lead to more damaged stuff and spoiled food. This time around, the proposal excluded some perishable foods, like produce and meat. For the California Report, I'm Kaylee Wells in Los Angeles. Sea levels along the U.S.
1: coastline are projected to rise by a foot or more by 2050. That's according to new federal data out this week. But what does that mean realistically for California? Well, KQED climate reporter Ezra David Romero has been diving into this, and he's here with us to explain. So Ezra, can you just give us a little bit of context behind this report? I understand it's building on previous research, is that right?
2: Yeah, there's been so much science that's taking place over the past four to five years, so this is an update to all that work. It focuses on sea level rise across the nation and then in subregions, is the southwest.
1: And what were some of the standout findings from the report?
2: three things. One, they predict a lot more flooding. By 2050, typically damaging flooding is predicted to happen 10 times more than it does today, and that it's going to vary regionally. They also say about two feet of sea level rise by 2100 is expected from the emissions to date, and that higher levels are entirely dependent on whether the world greatly reduces emissions or not. I'm going to let NOAA Administrator Richard Spinrad explain the third.
4: One of the most profound statements in this report is that the United States is expected to experience as much sea level rise in 30 years as we saw over the span of the entire last century. The report predicts sea levels along the US Coast will rise 10 to 12 inches on average by the year 2050.
2: And so what does all of this mean for Californians? The interesting thing is that by 2050, sea level rise is expected to be lower here on the West Coast, about four to eight inches. After that time frame, what happens next is really dependent on what happens with global emissions. If the world keeps warming, then ice sheets are at risk of melting in the higher climate scenarios. But Ben Hamlington with NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena says that's a little up in the air still.
5: I think it's important to separate out the higher scenarios as you get out to 2100 and beyond because you do have the the potential for very large amounts of sea level rise to occur associated with some of these processes that there's still quite a bit of uncertainty about um, associated with the ice sheets.
2: Is there anything here that we can be optimistic about? Well, there's a little bit. When I spoke with the state and local sea level rise officials About this, they said the new data, it doesn't hugely change what they're already preparing for. Their current models are already preparing for a far wetter future of like three feet or more. And it'll likely take about a year for the federal projections to make its way into California's plans. The other cool thing is that the new data goes all the way up to the year 2150, which wasn't in that last report. Jessica Fain with the San Francisco Bay Conservation and Development Commission says that extra layer of data will help planning for the future.
0: 2100 is, it might seem like a faraway number, but it's really the lifetime of a person who was born born today, right? And so
5: having these further out numbers to think about is uh, something that's really valuable.
2: And Jessica says there's no reason to lag in preparation because after mid-century projections speed up and sea level rise and flooding are just going to get worse.
1: Ezra, this is a lot of information to digest, um, but thankfully we have you here to explain it to us. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. State lawmakers announced two bills Tuesday to tackle COVID-19 misinformation and disinformation online. KQED's Rachel Myro has more.
6: Assembly Bill 2098 would encourage the state's medical board to discipline doctors peddling disinformation for profit. Senate Bill 1018, modeled after similar federal legislation, would require social media platforms to disclose data that helps academics and lawmakers see what's being done to counter COVID-19 confusion. Senator Richard Pan of Sacramento says California can't wait for a national solution.
3: Transparency allowed the public to make informed decisions and lawmakers and researchers need necessary information so we can hold online platforms accountable and also set standards.
6: The bills come from a working group of state lawmakers focused on boosting vaccination laws. For the California Report, I'm Rachel Myro.
1: No comment yet from Meta, Google, Twitter or Snap.
2: Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor, personalcapital.com. Paint Care, now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human
5: achievement.
1: And that's the California Report for this Wednesday, February 16th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Alex Hall. Thanks for listening and have a great day.
0: Now let's take a look at regional news. Nevada County Public Health reports 17 new confirmed COVID-19 cases today. 4,953 cases are active, with 21 people hospitalized. In a media Q&A, Jill Blake, Nevada County's Public Health Director, disclosed today that 77% of Nevada County's eligible population has at least one dose of the COVID-19 vaccination. This amounts to over 72,400 people. 68.7% of those eligible are fully vaccinated. Despite changes in Nevada County's mask mandate, Nevada County's public health officer, Dr. Sherilyn Cook, strongly recommends everyone still mask indoors, regardless of vaccination status. The Union of Grass Valley reports a group of about 50 students, staff, parents, and community members gathered along Ridge Road in front of the Nevada Union High School and the district office to protest the school mask rules yesterday. At least one Nevada Union staff member joined the group as well as members from the local Back the Blue organization, which had been hired to provide their sound system. Nevada Joint Union High School District Superintendent Brett McFadden said that the protesters stayed on the sidewalk and did not disrupt anything, adding that he appreciated the group had organized and conducted the demonstration well. Quote, We attempted to do everything right, at considerable expense to our students, our staff, to the district's budget, and we still saw numbers skyrocket said McFadden in regards to the recent COVID-19 surge. Quote, so I've come to believe that the quicker we return to normal, and I do believe that we can return to more normal and still be able to address the health and safety needs of our students and staff, I think we can do that and it's time to do that. Quote. Nevada County's annual point-in-time count of homeless individuals and families will take place on February 24th. The Nevada County Regional Continuum of Care, in coordination with Nevada County and the Homeless Resource Council of the Sierras, announced the details of the census today. Point-in-time counts are required by the Department of Housing and Urban Development to receive federal funding to address homelessness. Nevada County Health and Human Services stress the importance that everyone experiencing homelessness in Nevada County be counted and that information about their specific needs be collected to effectively utilize incoming funding to address service and housing needs for vulnerable residents of the county. Results will be posted to BetterTogetherNevadaCounty.org once available. Spring training isn't just for MLB teams. CAL FIRE Aviation Operations announced the start to fixed and rotary wing training in Placer and Nevada County this week for the next three months. Training will, of course, depend on weather and fire activity, but don't be alarmed if the Grass Valley air attack base seems to suddenly kick into high gear. Now let's take a look at our regional weather. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, clear with a low around 36, gusts as high as 21 miles per hour. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 61. The morning will be windy with gusts up to 20 miles per hour. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight mostly clear with a low around 15, wind between 10 and 15 miles per hour. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 45. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight mostly clear with a low around 42 and gusts as high as 22 miles per hour. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 67. Keep Tahoe Blue stickers are a fundamental addition to bumpers in certain regions. Join Felton Pruitt as he speaks to Darcy Goodman-Collins, the CEO of the League to Save Lake Tahoe. The organization just won an important court case over half a decade in the making.
5: We're talking with Darcy Goodman-Collins. She is the CEO of the League to Save Lake Tahoe, which is better known as Keep Tahoe Blue. And they, along with some other agencies, just won a big decision in California's Third District Court of Appeal. You want to talk about that a little bit, I'm sure, Darcy.
6: Sure, I would love to talk about it. Thanks for having me. This is a big win, not just for our organization, but for the lake and for the surrounding environment. This was a massive project that was proposed just outside of the Lake Tahoe Basin up on the ridgeline, close to North Star Ski Resort. And it was a, a project that would be visible from the lake, and more importantly, would be built in an environmentally sensitive area, an area that doesn't have infrastructure, not close to services, and would create a ton of traffic that would be headed into the basin. of course, anyone who wants to be just right outside of Lake Tahoe is going to want to go down to the lake. So it would cause a lot of traffic, which leads to greenhouse gas emissions, road degradation, Pollution that's going to flow downhill into the lake, and it's bad for the area because it would degrade what makes Tahoe-Truckee area so special, which is the natural environment. And the decision that was made by the courts said that their environmental analysis showed that the impacts to Tahoe were significant and there wasn't adequate mitigation and so that, that was huge. And it's not only for this project, but it also means that other projects built in the area must be scaled to fit the community and have accountability for their environmental impacts.
5: I was reading where this whole thing started about, what, five, six years ago when Placer County approved the project to go ahead.
6: Yes, it started even before that so we did have the opportunity to work with the project proponents I think starting way back almost in 2014 if memory serves me and we had numerous conversations with them trying to influence a good project and there were some components that would have been good would have helped preserve an area just to the east make sure that that area wouldn't be developed so there there was hope that we can get to a um, conclusion that was beneficial for the environment. And in fact, we wanted to make sure that the project was better for the environment, that they were good stewards of the lake and that there's a positive benefit. But when the project was finalized and approved, we were in opposition because of the impacts, not just to the lake, but to the surrounding region.
5: So the Martis Valley Development Project was funded by the Sierra Pacific Industries So what's their next move, and do you have a counter move for them, or are we done?
6: I'm not sure what their next move will be, but we're hopeful that that area will be purchased for conservation and that there won't be a project there because it's it's not the best area for a project for things I mentioned, such as it's a pristine forest, and it's also in a very high fire risk area. So as recent history would tell us, it's not the appropriate place to have a big massive development.
5: You teamed up with Sierra Watch and some other conservation groups as well. So this was a big group project.
6: Yes, and I'm glad you bring up that point because we worked closely with Sierra Watch and Mountain Area Preservation. And so it was really a a big collaboration of conservation groups, which made it such a significant opportunity and a good way to, to partner with some really good organizations all working towards the same goal.
5: Tell people a little bit about the League to Save Lake Tahoe.
6: The League to Save Lake Tahoe, also known as Keep Tahoe Blue, is the oldest and largest environmental organization in the Lake Tahoe Basin with the sole purpose of advocating for and protecting for Lake Tahoe. We're celebrating our 65th anniversary this year, so we're one of the older environmental nonprofits in the country. And we do a lot of advocacy work, but A lot of our work is community engagement and environmental education. That's uh, the the most fun part of our job, and that's where we're the most effective. We have citizen science programs, we have community engagement programs, and we we work very closely with our, our community and with visitors coming into the basin to help educate them on how to be good stewards of the lake.
5: Tell people how they can get in touch with the League to Save Lake Tahoe if they wish to.
6: There are plenty of opportunities to help us keep Tahoe Blue, and in fact, we try and make it easy for everyone to be a Keep Tahoe Blue gooder. And you can go to our website, which is keeptahoeblue.org. We have a ton of events, and we have a bunch of online resources. So you can train to become a volunteer, whether you have five minutes or five hours, there's an opportunity for anyone to help keep Tahoe Blue.
5: We've been talking with Darcy Goodman-Collins. She's the CEO of the League to Save Lake Tahoe, which is known as Keep Tahoe Blue. Thanks for all the information, Darcy.
0: Thank you. It's a pleasure. Curious about all the hubbub over solar energy in the news recently? 18-year solar industry veteran and current owner of Nevada City-based solar racking company Power Structures, Rob Katzenstein, closes our newscast with a commentary. What do potential changes from the California Public Utilities Commission mean for California's solar industry? Katzenstein tackles this question up next.
4: You've probably heard there are big changes afoot in California for people with solar energy systems on their homes, or for those of you who are thinking about going solar here. The California Public Utilities Commission, or CPUC for short, is considering drastically altering the amount that future solar customers will be paid for power their systems produce. Those that have solar already will be able to keep their present rate for 15 years from when their system was installed. Then they will be switched to the new rates. For many old time solar customers, that will be right away. New solar customers will be put on the new system called NEAM 3 which is the third generation of net energy metering in the state. There will be a four-year period in which the charges ramp up and the amount for power paid decreases. By year five, new customers will have an average of about a $60 a month fee known as a grid access charge and will only get paid about a quarter of the current rate on the power they produce. Rather than get paid at the retail rates for power, they will get paid at the avoided cost that the utility would have paid for power. That probably amounts to about five or six cents a kilowatt hour. The solar industry in California fears that this new poor rate of return will certainly discourage new customers from putting solar on their homes. This is coming in a time when our society is transitioning to electric vehicles, and the need to shift away from fossil fuel-generated electricity to combat climate change is very real. The 25-year boom in solar and wind made in California has meant that the state has not had to import electricity from out-of-state fossil fuel plants. The utilities believe that they need to charge more for solar customers' access to the grid, as they call it, in order to do the necessary upgrades to the power grid infrastructure and harden it from disasters like the fire that destroyed the town of Paradise in 2018. The utility's argument is that non-solar customers, including low-income ratepayers, are shouldering the burden of these repairs and upgrades. Solar advocates admit that the current charges for grid access is probably too low, at just about $10 per month and changes need to be made. However, the current CPUC proposal is to charge $10 per month on each installed kilowatt of solar, which an average house will have a 5 or 6 kilowatt system, resulting in a $50 or $60 per month charge. A charge of maybe $30 a month for any size system might be more equitable. The big problem is that solar produces most power in the middle of the day when the sun is shining down high in the sky. So now the state has enough power by lunchtime, but by dinnertime, when the sun has set, there is a need for more power to be generated. Batteries installed on residential solar systems have the potential to take care of this load shift. However, these batteries are still very expensive and the environmental impacts of producing all these batteries are still being debated. Electric cars, whose batteries can be plugged into the grid, can also help with the power needed at peak times. However, all this new technology needs time to assimilate and also financial incentives to make it pencil out. The new CPUC proposal does have incentives for systems with batteries, so that is encouraging. The CPUC has put a temporary hold on the proceedings till March or beyond. Public outcry over the drastic reduction in benefits from going solar influenced Governor Gavin Newsom to say there needs to be some changes. Also, it turns out the CPUC has had two of its five commissioners step down from the commission in December of 2021, including the president. The new commissioners that Governor Newsom appointed are hesitant to sign on to this plan that was developed by their predecessors. Whether it will be back to the drawing board or just some minor tweaks is the question that will be answered in future CPUC proceedings. Currently, the solar industry in California employs about 70,000 workers. The future of these jobs, with corresponding supply chain and sales jobs, is at stake. While there may be more jobs in related fields, like battery installations, the workforce has been trained to install solar systems, is anxiously awaiting what will come next for them. If you've been interested in solar energy for your home, I'd advise you to start reading up on these changes and perhaps write a letter or email to Governor Newsom. While changes to net metering rates need to happen, It seems that the CPUC has gone completely toward the investor-owned utilities position that rooftop solar is no longer necessary or wanted in our state. If you'd like to learn more about the goings-on at the CPUC, you can see their meeting agendas at cpuc.ca.gov. Local climate activists are following the debate closely. You can see updates at ncclimateactionnow.org. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the speaker only, and not necessarily those of KVMR, its staff, management, board, or
2: contributors. <music>
0: That's our newscast for this Wednesday, February 16th. If you missed some of tonight's news, you can visit us online at kvmr.org or listen in wherever you get your podcasts. KVMR gets support from Carmen's Garden and Greenhouse, locally owned since 2012 on Loma Rica Drive, Grass Valley. Stocking greenhouse coverings and components, down-to-earth amendments, IPM products, and more. Open Monday through Friday, 10 to 5. Carmen's garden.com and sweetland garden mercantile north san juan offering organic gardening materials hardware pvc and dave wilson and felix Gillet bare root trees monday through saturday nine to five 292 9000 sweetlandgmcom dig it keep it tuned to your community radio station ahead at 6 30 is the sages among us then at 7, we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for tuning in this evening. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off.